We are at our final destination uh, with the book of Daniel. Um, and, and I hope, as I feel, I hope many of you feels that um, this has been an amazing, amazing spiritual uh, edification for us. And we have got into a much deeper uh, level of understanding this amazing book of Daniel. And we got to see how critical it is that Christ, the, the Lord incarnate Logos, was quoting Daniel at the most critical times um, in his discourses and in his judgment with Pilate. And this shows how important Daniel is. And Christ called himself the son of man using a Daniel name. Daniel called him the son of man and Christ is the one that called himself. He is the son of man. So we're going to continue chapter 12 and then we're going to get into the other parts. At that time, now if we understand chapter 12, it's a continuation from chapter 11. Just to refresh your memory, chapter 11, we saw Michael, the archangel. And then we saw the man, the glorified image of Christ standing on the river. And as I told you, the father understand the water stream as it is the, wa the water stream of history. And God is in complete, um, is in complete sync with this history and he's in control of it. And it's not haphazard or random. At that time, Michael shall stand the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So now already, now we're talking about the end of times. The very end of times. And let me bring to your attention the expression. A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Does that sound familiar? A little bit. Come on. Who said something like that? Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was talking about the end of times and talking about the great tribulation, the, that great tribulation that the elect will suffer. And he says, this will be a time, there is no such a time has been since the foundation of the world. He said, since there was a nation, since the foundation of the world. It's exactly the same expression that Daniel used to describe that great tribulation. And as we understand the book of Revelation, and we understand the discourses, in Mass in Matthew twenty four and twenty five, that that you know there's gonna be a battle between the Antichrist and the elect, the Christians, the faithful, and that battle not necessarily by horses and swords and weapons. That battle is gonna be just like the antitype, like the type. Uh, of the Antichrist, Antiochus Epiphanes, when we talked about him. He stopped the daily sacrifice. He stopped the belief in God. He interfered with the believers, use, you know, worshiping God. 
And he made God his enemy. He didn't want anybody to have anything to do with God. So this is going to be during that great tribulation where the Antichrist does that. Such as never was since the foundation of the, uh, since, uh, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in that book. So guys, this is, should, this should give us great reassurance. That even when there is absolute horrible times that we go through on the personal levels or on the church level, there is always deliverance. There is always the end. This is always for a season. It's always for a time. It is not open-ended. And beautifully, everyone who is found written in the book, book of Revelation. Remember when St. John the Beloved could not look in that book and he was sad? Because only, only the Lamb of God, only the Lion coming out from the tribe of Judah, who conquered, he was able to hold the scroll and open it. Only the person that can open that secret and know who's in that book is our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that wrote it. He's the one that knows the names of those written in that book. My beloved, I beg you, when you pray, ask God for your names to be in that book. Ask God that your name would be in that book of life, like St. John the Beloved calls it in the book of Revelation. Before you ask for anything else, say, God, I ask you to write my name in that book of, in that book of life. I ask you to have my name listed and guarded and saved in that book of life that I end up being with you the rest of eternity. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So now we know that he's clearly talking about the second coming. And when the Christ comes, the bodies will rise. Okay, so the first person from Genesis until now that tells us about the resurrection from the dead is Daniel. Clearly that the body will rise. I mean, it's not, there is no ambiguity there. And the church in its, you know, in its full faith believes that the bodies will rise and the bodies will rise. <coughs> Somebody might get too scientific with me and tells me, Abuna, yani, you, know, you know a little bit about science. How will the particles get together? You know, some people died in the ocean. Some people died and the rest of the flesh became dust and evaporated everywhere. Some people get burned and it's, you know, some people this and that. How, how, how are you going to rise a body? There's nobody. And I'm going to tell you using the same signs. What do you need? What do you need to get a full person scientifically? Like if you want to, you know, re-create uh, a person, what, what would you need? All you need is their DNA. Just one little cell with the DNA. And from that cell, you can clone the entire person again. That's all you need. So yes, God will, will make those bodies rise again. 
their bones or whatever it is, God is going to use to bring them back to life. They will come back to life. But the most critical question, and by the way, we call this the miracle of the resurrection, because it's a miracle. This is not some in haphazard. This God, in His power, He will make the dead rise again. But here is the, the, the part that we really need to pay attention to. That some will rise to everlasting glory. And some to everlasting shame. Let's pray first to be in the first camp. That we will rise to everlasting glory. You know, we read this uh, in the epistle of St. John. That when, when we see Christ in his second coming. After rising from the dead. That we're going to see his glorified image. And by that same miracle, we're going to be glorified like him. Our physical body after the resurrection will be glorified. And it's going to be the image of the Christ in his second coming. And the people who are living. Remember, we said he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. The people who have not died yet. The Father teaches that he's going to step into eternal life. That are going to be transformed into that uh, image. And you know some fathers say they might die and immediately rise again. And that transformation might be their death and then they rise again. We don't know those details. But you know for our concern probably by the second coming of Christ we're going to be dead. So at least we're going to rise God willing. And then we're going to be transformed to the image. The people who are living at that time. How they will be transformed We'll find out at that time. But let's focus on rising up to everlasting life. Just like Christ said, the ones who did well will go to everlasting, to eternal life. And the ones who did bad to everlasting damnation. Didn't even say contempt, said damnation. So let's pray to be in the first camp, please. Those who are wise shall shine like brightness of the of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever this is a beautiful verse if you think about it when we say wise here think about the wise virgins and the foolish virgins what does it mean to be wise in the mind of god for the mind of the world to be wise is to be you know to work your head to get your way to try to manipulate people to try to cut edges to try to cut corners, try to do this, to do that. But what does wise mean to God? To God, being wise means you understand Him and His promises and you believe in them. And to be ready, like the five, the five wise virgins. They were ready. They took the Word of God very seriously and they were eagerly waiting for Him. And this is wisdom. Foolishness is to take things lightly and take a back seat and be lazy. And then your master comes. And still, there's nothing you can do. The door is shut. And the second part of the verse is even more beautiful. And those who turn many to righteousness. Like the stars forever and ever. Think about this for a second. Many of you are Sunday school servants. Many of you serve in the church in some capacity. If you turn one person. To righteousness, you're going to be like a star forever and ever in God's mind and the eternal kingdom. Yes, yes. If you teach somebody righteousness, if you teach somebody humility, if you teach somebody love, 
If you teach somebody to be part of the church, if you instill in somebody the Christian values, this, this will make you like a star forever and ever in the heavenly kingdom. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Okay, so what is God saying here to Daniel? You, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Seal the book, it's understood, and we understand this clearly from Isaiah, and we understand it from the book of Revelation. Isaiah, he said, I could not understand it because the book was sealed. He was referring to, the, uh, to, to something. And, and in the book of Revelation, the book was sealed and St. John could not figure out what's in it. So to seal up the prophecy, it's, it's not clear. It's not well understood. It is not for everybody to get until the time of Christ. And when the time of Christ came and God revealed himself in fullness, a lot of the sealed prophecies were opened because Christ, as Oregon, as Oregon, um, Oregon the, uh, the, the scholar told us, that he's the key that unlocks all the scriptures. He's the key that unseals all the sealed scriptures. So Origen, referring to Christ as the key, tells us here that in the time of Christ, a lot of the prophecies were unlocked, were unsealed. And the book of Daniel, chapter 7 to 12, was unsealed in the book of Revelation. A lot of the things we're reading here, we would not understand if we have not read the book of Revelation. Okay, because Christ unsealed that in his coming. And even despite all that, we get the major ideas and there's still some details we don't understand. Okay, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Yes, knowledge increased tremendously. Knowledge of God, you know, we're praying the Gregorian liturgy today for the Feast of Ascension. And we say, we talking to the Son, we say, you have given us the true knowledge, the true knowledge of you, the true knowledge of the Holy Spirit. You have manifested to us a lot of things that we didn't understand before. So knowledge did increase tremendously with, this, with the first coming of Christ. And St. Uh, Gregory the Theologian, St. Gregory Nazianzus, he tells us because the Holy Spirit came on this earth and filled the Christians, the knowledge has tremendously increased, even secular knowledge. Knowledge has, you know, has significantly increased because of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on the other river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, somebody speaking to Christ, an angel, he said to him, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? The question of how long comes a lot in the book of Daniel. And, and you know, some modern uh, interpreters and uh, reading this and, and some fathers, Daniel probably was concerned with how long. Daniel must have been concerned with the question of how long. How long the exile will last? How long the temple will stay desolated? How long is the time until Christ comes? 
How long is the time until your people are delivered? How long is the time until you finish all this? How long is the time until the second coming? That's why God revealed to Daniel and Daniel alone a lot of those details. Because Daniel genuinely cared about that question and probably was praying about it and asking God those questions. Then I heard a man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he, he, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things will be finished. So what is that? So beautifully, guys, uh, we have commentaries from very, very early church fathers, like Hippolytus of Rome, writing around 200 AD, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, writing about 185 AD. Um, and uh, of course, Augustine and Jerome um, commenting on the book of Daniel and commenting on the book of Revelation. And it's amazing how they all understood it the same way. So when we talk about a time, times, and half a time, they look at this In, in English, times is two times. So if you look at the Greek and the Arabic, it's a time, two times, and half a time. Here it says a time, times, and half a time. So that's not 100% accurate. It's a time, two times, and half a time. So this is understood as a year, two years, and half a year. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And the fathers agree that this will be the period, it's half a week, three and a half years, half of the year weeks that, that um, Daniel was talking about when he was referring to a week like a year. So there's three and a half, uh, three and a half years. The fathers say this will be the period in which the Antichrist will reign over the entire earth. And he will forbid people from worshiping God. And he will push people away from practicing Christianity. And he will try to hinder and prevent anybody who tries to live a righteous life. Yes. And he will persecute those people. This will be for three years. Okay. And then when the power of the holy people have been completely shattered. That's what, the, what Christ said. Even the elect could be a deceived. So even that power of the righteous will be completely shattered by how strong that great tribulation will be called. It's not called the great tribulation for, for, for fun. It will be the greatest tribulation that the earth has been through since its foundation. And this is that very time of the end. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So all this, Daniel is still not getting what's a time, two times, and three times, even if you understand three and a half years, and the power of the holy people will be shattered, he's still not getting it. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up, sealed until the time of the end. Well, like, and he was basically telling him, Daniel, don't ask for too much. I already told you enough. I told you already this is closed up until the time of the end. Until the time of Christ, when he's going to reveal to you to the world more 
and he's going to um, give us the book of Revelation and we have more understanding and we have the Holy Spirit and understand this a little bit better. Many shall be purified, made white and refined. Exactly like the book of Revelation. They're refined and made white in the blood of the Lamb. But the wicked shall do wickedly. So the good will try to be even better and the bad will continue to be worse. That's why uh, in the book of Revelation, the beautiful verse, let him his holy be holier and let him who practices lewdness and defilement continue to practice lewdness and defilement. Let the good one continue to be good and let the bad one continue to be mad. This is the world that we live in. The righteous try to be more righteous and the bad continue to get worse. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. We already talked about that. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. I hope I'm not losing you guys. But if you remember, we talked about the daily sacrifice being abolished by Antiochus Epiphanes. Right? Antiochus was 150 to 100 years before Christ. Um, so we're not talking about that. But remember, that little horn, that Antiochus, is a type of the Antichrist. So just like Antiochus has abolished the daily sacrifice in the temple of the Jews, the Antichrist will abolish the daily sacrifice in the churches of the Christians. And the abomination of desolation is set up. He took a pagan statue and put it in the midst of the temple and defiled it and made the very people of God run away to the mountains. Similar things will be done to the Christian churches. There shall be 1,290 days. What is that? What's 1,290 days? Anybody good at math? What is that? What does that mount to? Anyone? 3 and a half years. It's the same 3 and a half years. A time, two times, and a, and a half a time. It's the same 3 and a half years that the Antichrist will reign. The Antichrist will reign for 1,290 days. That's going to be the two and a half... The, the, um, uh, three and a half years that, uh, that the Antichrist will reign. Blessed is he who waits. Remember Christ what he said? He said, those who wait until the end will be saved. Those who endure and patiently wait all this mess to end will be saved. Those who wait and comes to the 1,335 days, blessed is that one. What is that? Uh, 1,335 days. This is 45 days more than the above number. So the first one was, was 1,290 days. And this is a period of tribulation. Now God is telling us through Daniel that blessed, lucky, good for him is the one that waits 1,335 days, 45 more days after the Antichrist. And this gets really interesting. And the, father, the fathers look at this 
and say, this is going to be the exact coming of Christ. The second coming will be 45 days, whatever, four days literally or metaphorically, but 45 days, but most of the father take it literally, 45 days after the death of the Antichrist. And they say this is so because God wanted to give a chance for repentance to some of the elect who could not stand the Antichrist and got weak and denied their faith or left their faith or, or you know, participated in actions that will take eternal life away from them. God has given them 45 days grace period after the Antichrist to wake up and come back to him. And then the second coming. And believe it or not, early fathers like Hippolytus talking about this. Talking, it's amazing, like 280. But you go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. But you, Daniel, you're going to die soon. You're going to die here in Babylon. And then you're going to rise again. It's a promise from God. You will rise again to your inheritance at the end of days. And this should be our look on life too, that we are, are eagerly waiting for that inheritance at the end of days. So this is the conclusion of the book of Daniel. And uh, if you look in your New King James, this is it. But then if you look at Cap Coptic Reader, then it continues. And chapter 13, which is a story of Susanna, and chapter 14, which is about, about Bel, which is a Babylonian pagan god, and um, the dragon, which is another god worshipped by the Babylonians, um, it's, it's part of the Deuterocanonical books in the Orthodox and the Catholic Church. Um, the Protestants... Emit, omitted those um, chapters, those sections, because, uh, long story, we can talk about this another time, like they omitted Topet and others, and they call it Deuterocanonical books. Interestingly, some of the new publications, new printing of the Bibles, they put those Deuterocanonical books now as an appendix at the end, calling them the Deuterocanonical books. Which is amazing. I mean, after since like 1600s, now they're turning around to, to, to look at those books. Um, and God willing, one time we'll have a lecture on why is that such a thing as true canonical books. But we'll get into that. But this is part of our church Bible canon in the Orthodox Church, all the Orthodox churches, and the Catholic Church as well. So the only ones that don't include this in their Bibles are the Protestants. And as you know, the Protestants are like, you know, they're, they're not part of the... Of the Holy Catholic Church. So I don't want to read this uh, chapter 13. Because this will take a very significant amount of time. But I'm just going to cover some points. Because you guys hear this every when. When do you hear that story? Story of Susanna. Anybody quickly. Come on unmute yourself and tell me. Where and when do we hear the story of Susanna? Apocalypse night, thank you. And why is that? Why are we reading that story in Apocalypse night? Bright Saturday night. Apocalypse 
Suburna Susanna gained her life back, just like Christ. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes. So, so, and, and we hear this, believe it or not, there is a beautiful homily by St. Athanasius that we read every Friday, I believe in the ninth hour or the sixth hour. I have to check. Uh, could be even the eleventh hour of Great Friday. And he says, look at how many examples of Christ we see. He mentioned the three youth in the furnace because they were into fire, which nobody comes life off. And they came back alive. And then uh, Daniel in the lion's den. So all this from the book of Daniel. Uh, and Daniel came back alive. Nobody comes back alive from the lion's den. And then Susanna and in her story, Susanna was basically, just summarize the story. Susanna was a good Jewish woman who loved God, uh, virtuous. And then there's two judges in Babylon who looked at her and lusted after her and wanted to commit sin with her. And she refused. So they he basically accused her of she's trying to entice them. And uh, I'm sorry, she's trying to be with, she was with a young man um, and uh, she was, you know, enticing him um, and she's guilty of death. Um, and then Daniel, who was at the time a young man, he was probably 13, 14 um, he basically, through the Holy Spirit given to him, uh, he was basically able to show the people that they're lying and that Susanna is innocent. And Susanna got her life back, meaning she was not condemned to death because she was about to be stoned. And the two judges who came up with this false accusation were stoned to death that day. Um, and that's exactly what happened with Christ. You know, it was the death of death. Death was trying to take him over. But he's the one that took over death and he trampled down death by death, as we say. Um, beautifully, some of the fathers look at this differently. Like, uh, you know, we hear uh, from some of the early fathers, um, like uh, I believe St. Cyprian, uh, he, he talks about Daniel was a young man. And through the wisdom given uh, to him by the Holy Spirit, uh, he was able to save that innocent person and do some amazing things. He say, we as people should not despise a young bishop or a young priest because the same Holy Spirit is working in them to do the same thing that Daniel did. It is not a matter of age. Age is immaterial. Age is irrelevant. That's one of the beautiful sayings by some of the fathers about that story. But deliverance, and faith in God will ultimately prevail. That's another theme that we see in the story of Susanna. Okay, and then after that is chapter 14. And I'm going to read it with you uh, rather on a little bit faster pace so we can finish on time. And King Astyagus was laid to rest with his fathers and Cyrus the Persian received his kingdom. And so Daniel was living with the king, and he was honored above all his friends. Now there was. Now we're talking about toward the latter part of Daniel's life. Now there was an idol with the Babylonians named Bel, and each day there was an expend, There was expended on him twelve great measures of fine flour, forty sheep, and six vessels of wine. 
And the king likewise worshipped him and went each day to adore him. But Daniel adored his God. Now contrast between the people of God and the people of the world. And we're talking about the top of the world. This is, uh, this is a Babylonian empire. We're talking about the people of God inside that empire are still faithful to God. Just like the first chapter of Daniel. And the king said to him, why do you not adore Baal? Make sure this is good. Why? And answering, he said to him, because I do not worship idols made with hands, but the living God who created heaven and earth and who holds power over all flesh. If you guys look at this carefully, you see that this answer given by Daniel was given by a lot of the martyrs. And if you look at the early church, talking about 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, before, before Nicaea, they took great, great interest in persecution books. And these happened to be a lot of the books in the Apocrypha, in the, in the Deuterocanonical books, in the books that the Protestants omitted because they didn't know what they were doing. The story of the three youths and the praise that they praised in the furnace of fire is very popular. Can you imagine the Protestant book that New King James does not have that praise, that third host that we have? The third host that we have, they don't have it. They don't have that beautiful praise, one of the most beautiful chants in the entire history of Christianity. They're missing out on it because they, they, they you know. So, and the Maccabeans and what they went through. Um, and also um, that language in Bell and the Dragon. You hear a lot of martyrs saying, I will not worship your idols, your king, but I worship the living God who created the heaven and the earth, who holds power over all flesh. This was the answer given by a lot of the martyrs. And the king likewise said to him, Does not Bel seem to you like a living God? Do you not see how much he eats and drinks every day? Then Daniel said, smiling, O king, do not make a mistake, for this one is clay and on the inside and brass on the outside, and he has never eaten. And the king, being angry, called for his priests and said to them, If you do not tell me who it is that has eaten these expenses, you will die. But if you can show that Bel has eaten these, Daniel will die because he has blasphemed against Bel. If you notice in the Babylonian and the Persian empires, always somebody has to die. And from the beginning of the book of Daniel until now, you know, if you miss the mark, you're gone. Like somebody had has to go. And they cannot just have a have one sim one easy day. You know, somebody has to somebody has to die. Um, but you see here that Daniel is smiling, and it shows like when you have the spirit of God and you have the wisdom of God and you have faith in God, you look at the people who are walking in the path of sin and destruction, not to judge them, but you, you can clearly see how evil that path is and how ludicrous it is. Like us reading this, we say, what dragon, you know, what, what, what pagan statue that eats and all that. But these people were really deceived. And when the Antichrist comes, many will be deceived also. And many are deceived today by so much. We talked about, you know, there's so many gods that we worship. So, when people are deceived, they're blinded. They don't think straight. 
And this could be you or me, so we're not outside that deception. So we have to be careful not to be deceived. And Daniel said to the king, let it be according to your word. Now the priests of Baal were 70 besides their wives, the little ones and sons. And the king went with Daniel into the temple of Baal. And the priest of Baal said, Behold, we are going out. And you, O king, set out the meats and mix the wine and close the doors and seal it with your ring. Basically, the priests of Baal were saying, Look at us, we're leaving, we're not here. You know, you seal this place, you put the food yourself and just, you know, you'll see that, uh, that this, uh, this dude will eat all this food. And when you have entered in the morning, if you have not found that Bel has consumed all, we will suffer death or else Daniel will who has lied against us. But they had no concern because they had made a secret entrance under the table and they always went in through it and devoured all these things. So it happened after they had departed that the king set the foods before Bel and Daniel commanded his servants and they brought ashes and he sifted them throughout the temple in the sight of the king. And as they left, they shut the door and after sealing it with the king's ring, they departed. But the priest entered by night according to their custom with their wives and their sons and they ate and drank everything. But the king arose at, f at first light and Daniel with him. And the king said, are the seals unbroken, Daniel? And he answered, they are unbroken, O king. And as soon as he had opened the door, the king stared at the table and cried out with a loud voice, great are you, O Bel, there is not any deceit with you. And Daniel laughed and he, and he held back the king so that he would not enter. So he said, look at the pavement, notice whose footsteps are these. And the king said, I see the footsteps of men, women, and children. And the king was angry. Then he apprehended the priest and their wives and their sons, and they showed him the secret doors through which they entered and consumed the things that were on the table. Therefore the king slaughtered them and delivered Bel into the hands of Daniel, who had overturned him and his temple. And there was a great... Okay, so this is the bell. So let's, let's cover this really quickly. Um, so you see Bel is a great god in Babylon. And this god and his temple were delivered in the hands of Daniel. The emperor of the greatest empire in the world has handed power to Daniel over that god that was made as an example of the pagan world. And he was overturned to Daniel and his temple, and Daniel basically destroyed them. So, so, and this showed that God is supreme over all the earth. It's another theme that we see with Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and the others. So this is a continuation of that mind of Daniel, that even in the empire, God works through his people, and God has supremacy over all, including the pagan gods, the pagan god Bel, and the emperor himself. And also we learn from this that Daniel did not just use some scriptural quotations or some religious language to convince the king. He used human wisdom, of course guided by the Holy Spirit, and he was able to lead the king to see that. And we can do the same thing in our defense of the faith, in our apologetics. We don't have to 
you know, we can, all we need is simple reasoning with preparation, then we'll be ready to give defense to everybody who asks us for the hope that's in us. And then verse 23, And there was a great dragon in that place, and the Babylonians worshipped him. And the king said to Daniel, Behold, now you cannot say that this is not a living God, therefore adore him. The idea of the dragon guys being worshipped, we see it so much in the ancient world. Even some of the stories of the saints, the martyrs, early on in the 200s, we see even villages in Egypt worshipping some sort of an animal creature. They call it the dragon. Um, so, you know, this idea we can see clearly here in the Deuterocanonical book of Bel and the Dragon. So, and we can see that like the martyrs were able to overcome whatever that creature was. Also here in Daniel, we see the same thing. And Daniel said, I adore the Lord my God, for he is a living God, but that one is not a living God. Therefore, you gave me the power, O king, and you give me power, O king, and I will execute this dragon without a sword or club. And the, and the king said, I give it to you. And so Daniel took pitch and fat and hair and cooked them and together. And he made lumps and put them into the dragon's mouth and the dragon burst open and, and he said, Behold, this is what you worshipped. And when the Babylonians had heard this, they were greatly indignant and gathering together against the king. They said, The king has become a Jew. He has destroyed Bel. He has executed the dragon and he has slaughtered the priests. And when they came to the king, they said, Deliver Daniel to us, otherwise we'll execute you and your house. Thus the king saw that they pressured him vehemently, and so being compelled by necessity, he delivered Daniel to them, and they cast him into the den of lions, and was there for six days. Furthermore, in the den there were seven lions, and they had... They had given to them two carcasses every day and two sheep, but then, but then they were not given to them so that they would devour Daniel. Now there was in Judea a prophet named Habakkuk, and he had cooked a small meal and had broken bread in the ball, and he was going into the field to bring it to his harvesters. And the angel of the Lord said to Habakkuk, Carry the meal that you have in that you have into Babylon to Daniel who is in the lion's den. And Habakkuk said, Lord, I have not seen Babylon and I do not know the den. And the angel of the Lord seized him by the top of his, hair, of his head, by his hair basically, and carried him by the hair of his head and set him in Babylon over the den by the force of his spirit. And Habakkuk shouted saying, Daniel, servant of God, take the dinner that God has sent you. And Daniel said, You have remembered me, O God, you have not abandoned those who love you. And Daniel arose and ate, and then the angel of the Lord immediately returned Habakkuk to his place. And so, and so on the seventh day the king came to mourn Daniel, and he came to the den and gazed in, and behold, Daniel was sitting in the midst of the lions. And the king cried out with a loud voice, saying, Great are you, O Lord, God of Daniel, and he pulled him out of the lions. Then furthermore, those who had been the cause of his downfall, he hurled them into the den, and they were devoured into a mo in a moment before him. Then the king said, Let all the inhabitants of the whole earth fear the God of Daniel, 
for he is a savior working signs, miracles on the earth. He has freed Daniel from the lion's den. And this is the end. Okay, so that section about the dragon and about the the lion's den. So that part of the lion's den, um, you know, we hear about here in that story of, um, in that book. It, it's supposed to be a separate book from Daniel, um, as an addendum to Daniel. Uh, and we hear that God used his prophet Habakkuk to come all the way from Jerusalem. You can call it teletransportation. You know, um, all the way to <clears throat> um, Babylon to bring dinner to Daniel. And this idea of being transported from place to place, we see it in Ezekiel. And we see it in the book of Revelation, when he was carried in the spirit. And we see it in the book of Acts with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then we see it in thousands of examples in the Coptic Church and the Orthodox Church overall. With so many spiritual pilgrims, spiritual saints who can transport from place to place. And they can go from one place to another in seconds. So all this we see here in this book. We have people like, um, you know, who... Um, do not agree with those things. Sometimes they eliminate those books because it doesn't serve their purpose. It doesn't serve their 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 ideology. But most importantly, in this passage, the idea that God takes care of His people. That even when Daniel was thrown in the den, probably a second time. I mean, we don't know all the details. That God is still took care of him, and God cared about his hunger. God didn't just save him from the lions. He cared about his hunger and provided for him. And he used a saint to provide for him. He used another prophet to provide that, not just anybody. He was served by a prophet, by somebody who also in communion and union with God. So this concludes uh, the entire book of Revelation, uh, entire book of uh, Daniel, with its... Uh, um, two addendums of Susanna and Bell and the Dragon. Uh, any questions for me?